0: Well, folks, Go Be Great, Episode 4, presented to you by Hardo Sports. We're back in the Go Be Great studios here in Connecticut, Um, currently midday on Wednesday, March 23rd. So first off, apologies to my roommate, Brandon. We'll probably be hearing this episode through the walls of our house and not through uh, his Spotify later on tonight. Um, Just figured that today. You know, today was definitely the day to do it. I didn't want to put it out too early because I felt like there were a couple of days there for the Selection Sunday episode where it was kind of just not not really being listened to as much. And then I kind of saw the statistics for the episode go up um, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So I want to try it out this way. I mean, I'm going to talk about all of the Thursday matchups. Uh, Thursday and Friday matchups of the Sweet 16. I'm going to quickly do the Elite Eight matchups that I would have, like I said uh, in the first episode on March Madness Selection Sunday. I don't want to talk about games that aren't necessarily going to happen, but you know, given that I'm going to pick the Sweet 16, I'll quickly pick the Elite Eight uh, winners and then kind of compare and contrast what Final Four I have now compared to what I had at the beginning of the bracket. Um, so I want to start off with how my bracket did. Um, if you listen to episode three of the Go Be Great podcast, where I picked all 32 winners of the first round, you would have went 19 of 32, which, uh, really not too great. Um, a couple of ones that I was pretty upset by not having, um, well, first of all, Chattanooga versus Illinois. Chattanooga is leading for 39 minutes and 15 seconds of that ball game. Um, and they ended up losing to Illinois, which was a tough loss for them. Illinois, the next game, loses by 15 to Houston. Um, another game that I was not happy with, that I f- feel like I maybe should have had or should have changed, um, I saw Indiana play in the first four and was not impressed with their performance against Wyoming. And I kept it anyway, despite having seen St. Mary's play multiple times over the last month between the WCC uh, tournament and also the game where they hosted Gonzaga and B Gonzaga. Um, So that's a little upsetting. I didn't uh, switch that one. And also uh, San Francisco lost their best player Uh, on Monday before their game I definitely had time to switch that and I elected to keep it that way Um, so 19 of 32 in the first round didn't get much better for the Sweet 16 as I only got eight of of 16 teams right for the upcoming weekend and one team that nobody had which is the story of college basketball and really the story of the country in sports right now is the St. Peter's Peacocks and Doug Eddard. Um, If you listened to last episode, folks, I told you that St. Peter's was going to play tough. I told you they were going to play hard. I told you that there was going to be a new Doug buckets in college basketball. Um, the last one was Doug McDermott of Creighton, the coach of uh, the coach's son, uh, Greg McDermott, and then he went on and I believe he played a couple of years in the NBA as a bench player before he went overseas. Um, folks what an absolute performance from the peacocks they're the third ever 15 seed advancing you had oral roberts last year they beat ohio state in the first round and then i believe they had a 10 versus 15 matchups uh, last year but i am not recalling the opponent you also have dunk city florida gulf coast university in 2013 who made the sweet 16 as a 15 seed um and Neither of those teams advanced past the next round. So, you know, just history not on, on the Peacock side. But they did play an amazing game against Kentucky. I mean, I like I said, I thought they were going to have enough to keep it close for a little while. And then, you know, Kentucky had Oscar Shibui, um, transfer from West Virginia, who's now going to go you know, top 10 or so in the NBA draft this year. Um, A couple of other kids that, you know, they looked like a really good team for most of the year. And then they come into that Tennessee game in the SEC final. They didn't look great. And I think they were just kind of looking ahead to the next game against, against um, the winner of Murray state San Fran. But what an awesome performance for the Peacocks. I mean, I was watching the game here on Thursday night and, you know, I was kind of paying attention. There were a bunch of other games going on and that, that late night Thursday kind of was, was where a lot of the upsets happened. You had New Mexico State beating UConn, which I had UConn in my Elite Eight, another uh, bad oversight by me given that I don't like Danny Hurley and that their team really wasn't too great outside of um, RJ Cole and Sonogo. And Mexico State did a really good job of limiting Sinogo's impact on the game. And RJ Cole did what he could, but a tough loss for them. There were a couple of upsets going on at that time as well. So not that I wasn't paying attention to the Kentucky St. Peter's game, but um I was I was, you know, here and there a little bit. I saw a couple of, you know, it was close, and then Kentucky took a six point lead. I think it was 68, 62, and I was like, all right. time to tune in because either they're about to do something, you know, so special, which is what ended up happening, or, you know, it's going to be a tough loss. But I want to see what they what they've got. And, um, you know, in the first half of that game, I believe Daryl Banks, the third hit four threes. So, you know, they were kind of riding off that for a bit and they found themselves in a close game. And, you know, Shaheen Holloway, the coach of St. Peter's, said it best. You know, they just weren't it didn't look like they were afraid ever in the game. And then, you know, and you factor in where all the kids are from and, you know, a lot of stories have come out of Jersey City recently um, in the last few days where, you know, they couldn't have regular lifts because their weight room was next to a classroom. So there was no music uh, blasting, which, you know, I always found that the music blasting at team workouts was kind of uh, one of the best parts. I think it kind of helps everybody just get away from reality and just focus on the task at hand just getting their work in um you know weightlifting isn't really the easiest thing to to go through cuz you you know much rather be playing basketball the sport that you're actually training for but um you know they had flooding in their team facilities i believe they had to play at a D3 college last year uh while their facility was under renovation due to a flood so you know, just being from Jersey, you know, a school from Jersey City alone, you knew that those were going to be some tough guys. And, you know, there were some stories about being under-recruited by a couple of guys I also saw. You know, just my familiarity with seeing uh, Doug Eddard play in high school. You know, he was a sophomore playing at a top 150 or 200 program in the country, and he really was unfazed by it all. He always played some tough defense on the best, you know, when he was brought off the bench for uh, Billy Armstrong's team, my senior year, he he was often tasked with defending the best guy on the floor as a sophomore. And you know, he was also the type of kid that if you walk past the gym early in the morning, which you know, my senior year I was, you know, or my junior year he was going into his sophomore year, uh, we would work out in the morning before school at the weight room at at uh, Bergen Catholic, and you'd walk past that gym and one of the only guys in there every morning, you know, a kid in my class, Taj Benning, who's at Fairfield. Now he was always accompanied by Doug Edder, always getting shots up. I saw a video on Twitter from the St. Peter's baseball coach this week. uh, Clearly Doug shooting 7.00 AM kid just won't stop working. And, you know, it just seems like it's a, a great story, a great environment that was built there by Shaheen Holloway. And, you know, it's sad that one of the next few games is going to be the last likely for Holloway and that team, you know, a lot of them will be hot in the transfer market or, you know, Holloway seemingly is out to Seton Hall. I don't know how many of those guys are going to, you know, get the chance to go with them. I hope, you know, he brings the whole roster because clearly these guys can play um, and clearly Shaheen Holloway, has a great coaching style because, you know, just in the Kentucky game alone, you know, outsized um, guys who were highly, you know, more highly recruited and ranked than you. Uh, and it was never, you know, it wasn't Kentucky with a lead and then they gave it up. It was, that was bucket for bucket. And the last few minutes of that game, you know, that felt, that was unbelievable feeling just knowing Doug, you know, I don't really know him as a friend I would say but just knowing you know he was always that type of player and in, in high school and ends up at St. Peter's playing Kentucky and then you know and in, in the end of regulation there he has a big three and a, a you know a floater that seemingly was on the rim for forever and it went down forced overtime you know finished it up in a in overtime, which was, you know, that's also another tough thing in college basketball. Usually the the underdog plays with the team for 40 minutes. It goes to OT and, you know, the other team in that last five minutes, the team that was supposed to win figures it out. Um, that's not what happened. Uh, St. Peter's kept playing. And, you know, once they beat Kentucky, it kind of felt like Murray State was going to be an easy task I mean Murray State did play a great game against San Francisco right after them um but you know they beat Murray State wire to wire so I just wanted to make a point of you know the biggest story like I said I did have Doug Buckets first before everybody else uh and now it's awesome to see you know they i've only really followed doug on instagram so that's all i've really seen of like the saint peter's players getting nil deals and stuff but i hope that it's you know not just him and a couple of other guys on the team obviously you know they've shown the between the mustache the hair you know um it's it's a, a wild bunch of things that i've seen on on instagram and twitter but Uh, Very cool for him to get. I I saw Barstool Sports has a little merch line for him as well as a Buffalo Wild Wings deal. So um, shout out to those guys. It's going to be cool to see what happens for them, regardless of what happens in this game against Purdue. Um, You know, a lot of them have eligibility left. Like I said, it seems Shaheen Holloway is going to be the next coach at Seton Hall. So A lot of stuff going on for New Jersey basketball. But without further ado, I want to go right through the games in order of the bracket once again. So I'm going to do the West Regional Semis, which is um, Gonzaga and Arkansas. And then the next game is Texas Tech-Duke. And then I'm going to go through the South, which is also Thursday night. And then Friday night is the East and the... Uh, Midwest so I'm going to start off with the first game of the night tomorrow night on Thursday it's Gonzaga and Arkansas Uh, approximately a 709 p.m. tip Uh, you can find the game on CBS the broadcasting um, assignments are Jim Nance Bill Raftery Grant Hill and Tracy Wolfson uh, on the sidelines so a, a great crew from San Francisco california the chase center which is the uh home of the golden state warriors now so um in this game i had gonzaga and yukon um and then you know yukon like i mentioned before tough loss against new mexico state they gave up 38 points to uh teddy allen um arkansas beat vermont and then they beat new mexico state both times with some good defensive performances um and I think, you know, for Gonzaga, you'd have to, t- you know, you'd have to say that out of all of the one seeds, they p- had the toughest matchup um, in terms of talent in the second round. I know that Baylor lost to North Carolina, but, um, you know, Memphis was a team that you would, before the season started, you would have said is a top 10 team in talent. Uh, they had a really rough start and they kind of turned it around as the season went on. They got back Amani Bates, which I, I know that I said on episode three, he was maybe going to play, maybe not. Um, he played. He was really good. Memphis had Gonzaga right where they wanted them. They were up 10 at half. You know, they were in the game the whole way. But Gonzaga was able to pull it out late. Um, and I think the game is as simple as this for Gonzaga. Um, they have the better team. There's no doubt uh, they have. Five starters who average more than 10 Drew Timmy, Rasir Bolton, uh, Nemhard, Chet Holmgren, and Julian Strother. Um, I think that especially after last game, you know, I, I have an, in my opinion, Memphis's team overall is better than Arkansas's team overall. So, for the Zags, do you play good defense? Um, Julian Strother. They won two games with him averaging four points. And he, like I said, is averaging more than 10 this year. Um, He had a really bad two games from, from behind the line. And uh, you know, the key to any upset for, for Arkansas is do you shoot well from three? Uh, Can you get the other team in foul trouble? And I just don't know if JD Note and Stanley Amoudier have enough to do that. Like I said, Arkansas is not as good as Memphis in terms of the depth of talent on the team. Um, And, you know, you just saw Gonzaga get tested by that and they took it a full 40 minutes. So now Gonzaga, you have to feel like there's no more like they aren't going to come out and kind of, you know, overlook the opponent or get beat, at least, you know, in, in this matchup. I think they're ready to play um you know they have seen what could happen you know if they have a bad start that they might not overcome it the next time you know they were down at 10 at half and I thought um you know I've been saying that I don't know how good Drew Timmy is and you know in the first half he didn't look great and then in the second half he had 25 points uh against Memphis so to me if you're gonna beat them obviously it's any upset you have to shoot well from three I think you have to have a real defensive focus on Drew Timmy because if he gets the ball and there's not you know much resistance, if there or even if there's just one guy on him, he'll get he'll put up 25 points. But if you can hold him to maybe 15 points, if you can make it really hard for him to get that 15 points too, um, you know, I think in terms of on off on the offensive side of the ball, Chet Holmgren, you can you can play like you can defend him they were pushing him off the ball in the Memphis game um and then it just becomes all right now we've taken you know we've reduced Drew Timmy in the game we have taken out Chet Holmgren now are these three guards Julian Strother Nemhart, and Rasir Bolton are they going to beat us and um I'm going to pick Gonzaga I I just don't think Arkansas has enough to do it I think in the next game against either team, I you know, I'm not going to give away who I have them against in the next round yet because I'm going to pick it next. But I think against Texas Tech or Duke, Gonzaga is going to have trouble. Um, because, you know, just based on the big men matchup that they have in, you know, if it's Duke and then if it's Texas Tech, uh, the experience and the defensive prowess that they've shown all season is going to be tough for Gonzaga to to stay with you know like i said if you take timmy out of the game and you make it the other four guys i think that's that's your that's your key to victory against gonzaga so um, i'm going to take the zags that game is from san francisco at 709 on cbs with the great jim nance uh analyst bill raftery and grant hill sideline reporter trace tracy wilson and about 30 minutes after that game is over from San Francisco, the other West regional semifinal will go down same station, uh, same broadcast crew, Texas tech, the three seed and Duke the two seed. Um, I had Texas tech versus the Spartans of Michigan state. Um, I, you know, I pretty much knew what's, you know, Michigan state was going to need to have happen you know they were going to need some luck they were also going to have to have their best game um and they were going to have to hold aj griffin to to a bad shooting night and um you know keep Boncaro and mark williams off the boards you know they're they're going to need a lot and uh didn't didn't go the way they wanted they lose by 9 points they did keep it close uh, i really hope that's not tom izo's last game um But speaking of coaches' last games, I do think that this is going to be Coach K's last. I don't think they're going to take down Texas Tech. Um, And here's why. Texas Tech is the number one defense, um, according to Ken Palm. Uh, Texas Tech routed Montana State. They did have a close game with Notre Dame. Uh, the next round where they needed a 10-1 to run at the end to win 59-53. You know, Duke, they do have their starting five of Mark Williams, A.J. Griffin, Paulo Boncaro, Wendell Moore Jr., and Jeremy Roach. But um, after that, you know, the bench doesn't really bring in a lot of offensive things to like. I mean, you can bring in Theo John, which they're only – Pretty sure they're only giving him like 12 minutes a game in terms of the defensive side. Um, But I just think Texas Tech has too much. They have five players on their team with 100 games played or more. Um, Talented young Duke team. But I think that with those five players that have played above 100 games, you also have Terran Shannon Jr., um, who's the number one scorer for Texas Tech. I, I actually believe he's second to Bryson Williams. So all of those players except for Terrence Shannon have played 100 games. So five, five starters or four starters and a bench player. You also have Terrence Shannon. I think that there's just too much experience mixed in with talent. Like if it was just experience versus talent you know, alone, then you can make the case for Duke. But you have Texas Tech who has played You know, they went to the elite eight last year and they come back this year and they're a really good team again. Um, I just think it's going to be too much for Duke. Now, the one thing for Duke is A.J. Griffin didn't really have that great of a game against Michigan State. If he comes out and shoots well, I mean, you know, he has shown the, the ability to shoot the three where it doesn't matter who's in front of him or. You know, like I said, Texas Tech is the number one defense. He's shown the ability to just shoot it over people. So if he's hot, then Duke could pull it off. But I think Texas Tech is going to move on to the Elite Eight. And then that would be Gonzaga versus Texas Tech. And I would pick Texas Tech again. Um, You know, it's not just defense for the Red Raiders. Um, they are obviously very good at that. You don't get ranked number one on Ken Palm by accident. Um, But in terms of the offensive side of the ball, they're 46th in um, adjusted offensive efficiency. Um, I just think for Duke to take them down, like I said, they're going to need A.J. Griffin once again to shoot the ball very well because I think in terms of defense, you know, in terms of the big men and the rebounding, Texas Tech is going to take Mark Williams or I don't want to say take him out, but they're going to neutralize him and Paulo. So you need the guards to really take over for what would be one of the only times all year. Um, and then in terms of Gonzaga, Texas Tech, I mean, what a perf- what a game that's going to be. Um, and I, I, you know, I saw it against St. Mary's again, you know, when they played, Gonzaga. Gonzaga was playing their tempo. They're ranked sixth in adjusted uh, tempo on Ken Palm, and St. Mary's is all the way down at three hundred thirty-nine. And St. Mary's played their speed, and they were able to win the game. I think the same thing could happen again with Texas Tech. It's the same formula. It's good defense with a slow tempo on offense, getting really efficient looks when maybe it's not your your strong suit. Um, and if I think whichever team controls the pace of the game would win that one. And I always like when the team who plays slow, I like to pick them over the team that plays fast because I think once you st- you know if you've seen Gonzaga play, like the ball comes out of the rim and they're pushing it right up the court. It looks like a a UNC, you know, 2016 or 2017 UNC when we had Marcus Page and, you know, all those guys just running up the court with the basketball, looking for transition threes with Justin Jackson and stuff. Gonzaga reminds me of them a lot. Um, The way you beat that stuff is by getting back on defense, A. B, you have to be okay with playing your game, you know? And I think Texas Tech, if they did have to push the pace with Gonzaga, they'd probably lose. Not because they aren't as talented. I just think when you're not used to that type of stuff and then you try to get into it in a winner-takes-all game, usually the team that's been doing that stuff all year is going to take, you know, they're going to have the advantage. Um, So I would take Texas Tech to beat both Duke and Gonzaga in the um, in the West Regional from San Francisco. So uh, also on Thursday night, it's the South Regional Semifinals. Um, these games will be on TBS um, from San Antonio, the AT&T Center, which is the home of the San, San Antonio Spurs. Uh, you have Brian Anderson, Jim Jackson, and Ali LaForce um, as your broadcast crew. So I had Villanova-Tennessee in this game. Um, I, for a second, I did have Michigan in the Sweet 16. And I think I should have probably, you know, I, I, I put out the pod and I kind of wanted to keep it as close to what I said on the podcast as as possible, which... Um, kind of hurt me in some ways because I think the more I looked at it, I maybe would have had a little bit of a better bracket. But also, if the more time you have to think, the more you could find, you know, reasons to not pick a team. And so, I I really just wanted to keep it as close to what I had on the pod as as possible. And um you know, Michigan, it was really interesting. First of all, they make their fifth straight Sweet Sixteen. Um, you know, this is a rematch in the same arena as the 2018 national championship, where Villanova uh, dismantled Michigan. I believe that was a 20-point victory for Villanova. Um, and I said in the, I said in the um, Colorado State Michigan recap or uh, you know, look ahead to the game, is Devontae Jones going to be healthy? And if so, he's the one of the best players on the court for Michigan. Well, he didn't play really at all. He didn't play in Colorado in the Colorado State game at all. He came in against Tennessee and went out with, I believe, a. Um, he started to get sick, so maybe he had a couple of more concussion symptoms after he was cleared. Uh, I'm not really sure what happened. I haven't really read into that. But Frankie Collins really filled his his role pretty well um you know they were down 15 to colorado state at one point i believe in the first half and they came back and then they also take down um take down tennessee which is really impressive on the villanova side um this team just is like it's a carbon copy of these teams that have have went you know in that little run between 2016 and 2018 where they won twice and uh, went to the finals another year, or went to the f- Final Four. I'm, I'm going to have to check that. I believe the year in between them beating UNC and the, um, I don't know. I don't, I'm not really sure about that. But they, the teams that have won in the last few years for Villanova have had good guard play with Dante DiVincenzo and Ryan Archidiacono. And you kind of see Colin Gillespie playing that same role of like, He's not only the point guard, but he's the best, play, you know, he's their best player on defense. Um, he's the culture guy. You know, he's a very good player, but you also have, um, you have Moore, Justin Moore, and you also have Daniels. You have Jermaine Samuels playing really well in the post. So it just seems like, Jay Wright is looking for these players to fit the molds of what he's already been successful with and just apply it to the system. And, you know, that's really all he needs. You know, Nova's guy, tallest player is Jermaine Samuels and he's at six, seven. So they've kind of bucked the trend of like, okay, we need a seven foot center who can play back to the basket. And, you know, the rest of those guys are just, you know, you wouldn't, if you put them in a game, you know, in the middle of the park against a couple of other guys, you know, from college basketball, I don't think you'd pick the Villanova players as like, Oh, well, those are the number one guys. Those are, but they just have a really good coach, a really good system. They play really great defense. They make their free throws. They're the best free throw team in the country. And they're going to shoot a lot of threes between Colin Gillespie, Justin Moore, and Daniels off the bench. Um, so it really becomes, which coach and which style of play is going to be able to dominate the game is it villanova's defense you know because they have a, a big test here against michigan hunter dickinson's seven one you kind of saw him against colorado state like he doesn't have any real move to the basket he's just a physical force for these players like He just, if you don't double team him, he's easily able to take one dribble, face the basket, and shoot the ball from between 10 and 8 feet, and you have no chance against that. Now, do you double team him and let the Michigan shooters have open threes? That's kind of the question that um, Jay Wright has to answer. I don't know what you do because, like I said, Samuels is a really good player on defense, don't get me wrong, but... Seven feet of um, Hunter Dickinson. Yo, you know, Diabate didn't really do much on offense, but he dogged the other teams on the rebounding. Uh, you know, on the glass, on both sides of the ball. Um, this is a really tough choice. I when I was writing up the sheet, I actually wrote I'm gonna take Michigan, but I just like Villanova too much. I like Jay. You know, and this is coming from a North Carolina fan who. You know, Villanova ripped our hearts out my senior year of high school when Marcus Page hit the double-clutch three-pointer to tie up the game with about six seconds left, and then Archie Diakono to uh, Chris Jenkins. on um, You know, a, a great play uh, designed by Jay Wright for a wide-open three right over Isaiah Hicks. So, you know, these, this is stuff that you never forget, folks. The fact that I like Villanova after, you know, that specific game, Tells you what you need to know about the coach and the program. Um, It's a really tough choice for me, but I'm going to take Villanova. I, you know, I do think for Michigan, I'm not, you know, I can't imagine that outside of Frankie Collins, many of the players were even there for that game. But you remember uh, a good old uh, butt kicking, especially when it's from, you know, the same arena at a stage like that. You know, I think Michigan's really going to be ready to play this game. I think Villanova just has too many answers, and they'll be able to adjust to whatever Michigan comes up with. You know, Devontae Jones, once again, it would be an addition for them, for the Michigan Wolverines if he plays. But you can't really count on it at this point. I mean, he's, you know, didn't play with a concussion game one, then went out with sickness game two. After playing a few minutes at most, so I'm gonna take Villanova in that game. The next game from the same arena, so we're staying in San Antonio in the South region, is number five Houston and number one Arizona. So Arizona survived the scare against TCU. I you know. I, the more you watch the game, the more you think like. TCU probably should have been awarded two free throws with one second left after a foul at half court that would have put Arizona, you know, on the golf course or back at school, I guess you could say Um, this weekend. And it would have been TCU Houston. Um, But, you know, that's not the way the game went. They sent it to overtime. Arizona was able to finish it off. Houston, on the other hand, absolutely pummeled Illinois. Uh, I'm not really surprised by that. I think for whatever reason, Illinois has played worse with one of their best players on the court, Andre Curbelo. Um, when he hasn't played, they've been unstoppable. I think they he didn't play fifteen to sixteen games this year, and they won every game but one this year without him. Which I, I don't understand how it's possible. I don't know if he, you know, because I saw him play. I think it was Martin Luther King Day. Uh, So, uh, you know, Monday in January, they had a game at home against Purdue. And he looked like he looked amazing. He was really good. Um, They end up losing in triple overtime, I believe. And it's tough when, you know, you know, all right, we can take our best player off the court. Well, who's supposed to be our best player off the court? And we get better, but do I disrespect you know, a kid that's done so much for me? If I'm Brad Underwood, they didn't, and uh, it, it kind of cost them as they go down to Houston. So it's Houston, Arizona. Um, there's a lot of talent on both sides of these teams. I think Benedict Matherin, the number one guard uh, sophomore from Arizona, is probably the best player on on the court for either side. Um, also for the Wildcats, you have Kirk Risa. I hope I got that name right. So he was out, or he got injured. They weren't sure if he was going to play against TCU. He kind of played um, not 100%. So you have to figure he'll be closer to 100%, if not fully recovered um, for the Sweet 16 on Thursday night. Um, for Houston, though, It's a really interesting uh, team, right? So they go to the Final Four last year with Jalen Green and um, Quentin Grimes. And, you know, if you look at the Houston team now, only one player is even back from that team. And he went down with injury, Marcus Sasser, in the middle of the season. So this is a coach that brought a team to the Final Four last year, got a whole new roster and is, you know, on their way to uh, probably one of the biggest games of his coaching career against Arizona. Um, You know, this game is from San Antonio, so you have to figure Houston may have a few more fans than Arizona. You know, I, I kind of believe in that kind of stuff in college basketball. I think, I mean, even in any sport, when there's people in there rooting for you and, you know, going wild for every basket, it makes it a little bit easier to play. So um, I think the key to the game here for for Houston is don't let Coloco do what he did against TCU. I mean, he was a force. He was not just catching rebounds, catching the ball, you know, in one-on-ones under the basket, and he was an absolute menace. Um, so for Houston, I think you keep him in check. Like, you know, you there's not really any stopping Benedict Matherin. Like, he's going to have his 15 points regardless. Don't let the big man in the middle get easy twos, get fouled, go to the free throw line, catch easy rebounds. That is the way to lose the game. Um, Usually, when a team, when I personally think these two teams are the most evenly matched in the whole Sweet 16, um, I think that says a lot more about how good Houston is than, you know, just kind of looking at it, you'd be like, oh, one versus five, like Houston maybe shouldn't have as good of a chance against Arizona as they do. Well, if you look at all of the metrics, Houston kind of got, uh, you know, they got disrespected by getting a five seed out if you look at all these metrics according to Ken Palm they're number two in the country like <laughs> they're number 10 on offense number 10 on defense slow tempo which I mean they don't really even look at that's just trying to figure out like how do teams match up so that's the interesting part here folks Arizona number five tempo Houston number 334 tempo as you've probably figured out in the last two episodes, I like when a team is able to play slow um, and succeed doing that. The only thing for me is I watched Houston play Memphis and in the, uh, the last game of the regular season, and it was scary watching them break the press. I don't know. I didn't watch Arizona closely enough to see if they – do have like a full court press in the playbook if they do i think you have to pull it out you know early in the first half for a little bit you just kind of want to show it see if you have success with it and then you know the last 10 to 15 minutes of the game i think if that's what you want to if that's how you want to try to beat them i think that's the way to go um i'm gonna pick houston i think Between Kyler Edwards and Jamal Sheed, they're two guards. Like anytime you have two players who can take over the game on offense, kind of playing like isolation basketball or pick and roll basketball with the big guy or whatever, you're usually going to be in a better spot. Like you just kind of saw against Illinois, Illinois had one player to take over and it was also a forward instead of a guard. So it's kind of tough to do that in college basketball. Like you need good guard play. I think they have it. Um, they have the pedigree, you know. They're coached by Sampson, who, like I said, brought a, a t- entirely different team to the Final Four last year. Um, just, you know, retooled, figured out what his team was good at, and here they are in a massive game against number one seed Arizona. Um, I, I just think Houston's going to have. Too much with those top two guys, Jamal Sheed and Kyler Edwards, for Arizona's pace. Uh, you know, if they get out to, you know, you'll see early on, if Arizona's controlling the pace and Houston can't break the press again, Houston has no chance. But I think they learned from their tough game against Memphis last month. I think that if they are, you know, dealt with the press, they'll they'll handle it a lot better. Um, I think that they'll control the pace and I think those two guys, Edwards and Sheed are going to lead them to the elite eight. Um, so that would be Nova Houston in the next round on Saturday. Um, wow. What a game that'll be too. I'm going to go Villanova there. Uh, I don't necessarily have good reasoning behind it. Like I mentioned before this team that villanova has now just looks like a carbon copy of those 2016 and 18 teams um and for that reason between you know that they have a lot more uh experience on the team and that it's going to be a it's going to be a a rock fight folks It's going to be a big defensive battle in that in that elite eight game i think that nova is just going to pull out a close one I I don't think that there's really an edge for either team like they're they're so similar they're slow they're great on defense Um, they have a couple of great guards that will really calm down the team you know it's not like you're going to have someone out on the court just dribbling wildly and you know trying to take over like if Gillespie thinks he's going to be able to go for 25 like he will go get his shots if he knows moving the ball around or jay Wright they figure that out that it's going to be better to move the ball around and try to you know work in the other guys like and he will do what's best for the team so i think just between nova's experience on the team and i like you know, at this point, you ha- kind of have to take into account who's the coach of each team. Like, I'd, I'll just go with Jay Wright, and that's no offense to uh, Sampson from Houston. I just think in that game, two you know, two very similar styles of basketball. You have to take uh, Villanova there. All right, we're going to move on. We have the East Regional semifinal. Uh, I mean, talk about a, a matchup you didn't think was going to happen. We have 15 St. Peter's versus the number three Purdue Boilermakers. This game is going to tip at 7.09 on Friday. CBS is where you can find it on TV. And we have the GOAT of all GOATs on the call, Ian Eagle, uh, alongside Jim Sparnak- Sparnarkle. And Jamie Erdraw on the sidelines from Philadelphia, the Wells Fargo Arena, home of the 76ers. Um, in my in my Google Doc, folks, I have, how is St. Peter's going to pull it off again? Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be able to. But if they were able to, the way that they would do it is their defense. Um, I don't know if because they've beaten Kentucky – and Murray State in their last two games, that their defensive efficiency has skyrocketed since then. Um, but they're currently ranked 28th. So the one thing you know about St. Peter's, they're not going to be afraid um, of Jaden Ivy, Zach Eady, Trevion Williams, and the rest of the Purdue team. You know, I specifically named those three guys because you have the number one scorer on the team in Jaden Ivy. You have the number two scorer and. You know, an amazing forward, uh, I believe is a junior and Trevion Williams, who's been around a little bit. He's he's you know, this isn't his first tournament. Um, and you have Zach ED, So seven, four gets to the line a lot um, and he's able to make his free throws as well. So it's going to be tough, but one of those guys is going to have to get absolutely taken out of the game. Now, the interesting part for St. Peter's is they were playing a three 2 zone against um against both kentucky and murray state now it's interesting when you play zone because when usually when a team's playing zone in the tournament it's syracuse with the two three and you're pretty much banking on like okay is a is my defense going to be able to rotate to the shooters yes or no B, even if I am not able to rotate to all of the shooters, we're basically challenging these kids to make threes on us. So in the 3-2, it's a little different. You don't want to let them shoot threes. You want to get out on shooters, and you're more susceptible to the inside play. Now, I don't really think that's going to work against Purdue because they'll just feed the ball into Williams and he'll have 25 points. But you have to figure, like, okay, do I let, do I want to let Jaden Ivey work for his points, either by shooting over us, you know, trying to, you know, get step back shots or whatever, or drive past us? Do I want to let Stefanovic accidentally have like 19 points on six threes? Um, their three point shooter from Purdue. Um, like, do, what do I, you know, for me, I think like you're already up against it enough, right? If you leave the shooters open, they're going to go for, they're going to kill you. If you, if you go and, um, if you, if you let up twos, like, yeah, are they going to get a lot? Sure. Like. Trevion Williams, like I said, he could let you up for 20 points, 25 points. So, you know, either you will get to the line, but would you rather let that up, knowing that it's not a three-point shot that, like, you know, like I said, I think Stefanovic and, and Ivy, if you leave them out there, or if you're trying to play man on them, which would probably be bad as well. Um, like, you'd rather just let those guys do what they – do what they do under the paint knowing that they're two-point shots and try to beat them that way like there's no way you're going to not foul Zach Edie he's just too big there's no way that you're going to stop Trevion Williams but you might as well try to take away the jump shots of Jaden Ivey and Stefanovic and hope for the best like you already got this far. You are, you know, they've already been well-documented that they aren't afraid of anything. Um, now, the other thing is, you know, Purdue's defense is ranked in the hundreds uh, on Ken Palm, right? St. Peter's offense showed that they have multiple ways to score with all of their sets. Specifically, it was, it was just, you know, good off ball screens and off ball movement. Um you know, I don't know much about like the you know more advanced like sets in college basketball I you know I could pick out like a flex offense when I see one or when I you know uh something like that on TV but to me it was awesome to just watch like Doug working for shots the other guys were also working really hard just to get the ball and then you know it was it was a really it was a really great team to watch, like, play the sport, let alone what, you know, what they accomplished, right? But to me, it's – does does Doug stay hot? Like, he shot 70% in the first weekend. you know, you saw Casey Nadifo and Darryl Banks also, like, have amazing games separately. Like, Darryl Banks took over game one. Uh, Nadifo took over on defense and a little bit on offense as well in game two. Like, do they have enough to do that for a third time in a week? I don't think so. Like I said, I, you know, I guess that the you have to figure that if they're going to stay with their defensive, you know, what's worked for them on defense, which is the 3-2, that they're going to live with whatever happens in the paint. You know, and Defoe did block a lot of shots, so maybe they feel – that it's his time to step up and, you know, that they're going to try to take away Edie and Williams that way. Um, But if they stay in the three, two, they're susceptible to a lot on uh, the inside. And, you know, they're going to try to live with whatever happens from three while they're closely guarding it. But I think it's just going to be too much. Purdue is a really good basketball team this year. Uh, I really hope that St. Peter's wins and, and proves everyone wrong again. Um, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. And you know, I also think like, if you, if you look at some of these other teams, like I think St. Peter's would have a real chance against a lot of these other teams, but just based on, um, the three guys I've been mentioning alone, Zach Edie, Trevion Williams, both, uh, you know, monsters in the paint and Jaden Ivey, a top five NBA prospect. I think it's going to be too much of the Peacocks, but what a story, and you have to figure that. Even though it's going to be a lot for them, they're going to keep this game close, folks. They are going to play hard. They aren't going to be afraid, and um, like I said, I hope that they can pull it out, but I'm going to pick Purdue. Um, So after that game ends, same channel, same arena, same broadcast crew, we've got the North Carolina Tar Heels, Number eight against number four, UCLA. Um ah, wow, folks. So when I was going over North Carolina's first round game on the on episode three, I told you that it was gonna be pretty reliant on the guard play from from North Carolina. Like how is how is Caleb Love gonna play? How is RJ Davis gonna play? Like if they could shoot the ball well and not turn it over they had a pretty good chance in both games um you know i didn't really talk about brady manic as much which i'm kind of upset that i didn't because first of all i saw him play in uh in brooklyn a couple thursdays ago for the acc quarters and he was an absolute dog just shooting the basketball uh he was also good with his back to the basket good at rebounding, you know. It seems like this kid was the perfect fit um, to give, like, the younger guys more of a, like, I don't want to say, like, a tough guy mentality, but he clearly brought something from Oklahoma that has resonated with the other guys. Maybe it's his work ethic. I'm not really sure, but a lot of things have changed from last year's team. Obviously, you can look at the individual growth of all three of the young guys, or I shouldn't even call them young guys, I guess they're all sophomores or juniors now, of Baycott from last year to this year, R.J. Davis and Caleb Love from last year to this year. There's been so many great things that have happened. They've gone so much better, all three of them, um, especially Caleb Love, uh, excuse me, especially Armando Baycott. Like, there were some games last year where we were really relying on Armando to to get it done for us. And he clearly was not like that player yet. He was not as in good shape as he is this year. Um, and that, con- you know, just that alone helps him out so much. Like he is not grabbing 13 rebounds in, in the tournament last year, like at all, not even close. Cause he's not boxing out that way. Um, he's not, when you pass him the ball under the basket, like, he isn't finishing the way he is right now last year. So I think him alone, what a growth he has went through. But the other two guys, in terms of whole, you know, taking care of the ball, they have their moments in terms of shooting. And boy, did they have their moments um, in the last two games. You know, Caleb Love had 21 points in the first half against Marquette, and they kind of rode that out. Um in the second game, RJ Davis kept the sinking ship afloat. Um we had a 25 point lead in regulation before Brady Manic gets ejected. And I I hate to tell you guys, but I didn't really catch a lot of this game, folks. Um, I was at a first birthday party on Saturday. Um happy birthday, Grace. Um, and you know I, Obviously, it's it's family. You're not going to say no, but I won't lie to you when I agreed to saying, all right, I'll go to the first birthday party and the party's at a brewery. I'm kind of expecting the brewery to have one TV in the whole place and for me to be able to kind of be paying attention to the game while I'm catching up with family and enjoying the festivities. Um, No TV, folks. I was in the dark. And, you know, we, we jumped out to an early lead. So like I was feeling good. I was checking my box score a lot. I didn't want to pull out the stream for the whole game. Cause I knew that that was a rude thing to do. Um, but then I'm like checking my phone and all of a sudden it's, it's 67 42. So I'm like, all right, this is awesome. Like I, I picked North Carolina to the sweet 16. Now I feel bad that I picked UCLA in this game because you know, this team can beat anyone if they're shooting like this between Manic Love and, and uh, R.J. Davis. Like, holy crap. Um, all of a sudden, the score starts whittling down. Now it's 67-51. Now it's, you know, 70-56. to Now all of a sudden, it's 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 closer. I'm like 72-63. It's, it's 72-66. I'm like, oh, no, this isn't going to happen to me right now. So I pull out the stream with like a minute left. Um and I watched overtime as well. And uh what a what a performance uh for North Carolina. Like Caleb Love goes, you know, gets fouled out with like four minutes left. No Brady Manic. Um they, they they stayed strong. Armando Baycott missed a couple of free throws in regulation that would have sealed the game or given them a lead with a few seconds left. Um hit hit some big ones in overtime. So a game that maybe we should have lost after all that. We still pull out the victory, Um, and I think it's a lot to do with Hubert Davis and the respect that the guys have for him and his coaching style. Uh, I mean, it just seems like this team got a lot better from last year, and I'm not saying that it's any, you know, this is no shot against Roy Williams at all, but you could not have asked for a better season, in my opinion. And what we've gotten with, you know, with what we've gotten from Hubert Davis and the Tar Heels this year. Now, in terms of the game, there's a few things that I think really go in our favor. Johnny Juzang has not looked like himself. He was the leading scorer for UCLA last year and this season in the last two games, in uh, both in the tournament, averaging 11 and a half points. Um, he did have an ankle injury last month and I the only reason I say is he a hundred percent is like if I was not a hundred percent on a basketball court, I would not be trying to force myself on offense especially when I know that there's a bunch of other really talented guys that could score the, the basketball too you know I, I, I don't know if that I haven't watched them closely enough specifically just him, closely enough to like make that judgment of like, okay, he's just being passive because, or he's being passive because he is clearly not a hundred percent. Now on the other, the other, uh, you know, great player for UCLA. I mean, they have a really great team overall, but if you, you know, if you had to pick the top two guys, it would be Johnny Juzang and Hami Jacques. um, So Jaquez re-injured his angle in the St. Mary's game and is listed day to day. Now I was listening to a bunch of Mick Cronin stuff and it sounds like even if he is going to play, he's not going to be a hundred percent, you know, they're not going to announce like, oh, he's definitely playing or, oh, he's definitely out because they don't want to give North Carolina a chance to like, you know, uh, Mick Cronin is saying like, okay, if if he plays, we have one game plan, and if he doesn't, we have another. Well, the same thing would go for the Tar Heels. Like they're gonna prepare one way if he's playing, and they're gonna prepare a different way if he's not. So they don't want to give away that news. They're not gonna tell us whether he's gonna play until Friday at some point or not. Um, but I think either way, he's not gonna be a hundred percent. I personally hope that he plays and that he's not a hundred percent. Like I think sometimes, and you know, I did see them play uh against Arizona a little bit in the championship game as well as seeing them in the USC semifinal I I don't know I I think him playing less than 100 percent is worse for UCLA than him sitting out um so I hope he plays uh speaking of Mick Cronin he's done an unreal job with this team like over the last two years between they got You know, they got hit hard by COVID in both seasons. Um, They had a lot of injuries. You know, I just mentioned the top two players for them dealing with serious injuries. Um, You know, they've had a couple of other guys leave the program midseason last year. You know, they, they were doing really well and then had a bad February last season before making that Final Four run. And now kind of the opposite this year. They've been on a really good run. And uh, you know they they earned the four seed, um, so it's it's tough. I had UCLA in the final four in my bracket. I had this matchup right, um, but this always happens when your team is in a game like this. Like even if I don't believe a hundred percent they're gonna win, like there's no way I'm not like I. They're gonna win. Like in my mind, as a fan, like they're winning the game. I haven't thought of the other way yet. I can't think of the other way yet, because what I've seen from UNC over the last 13 games is a changed team, a changed Armando Baycott. Ch- you know, like I just mentioned about all of those players who have gotten so much better, and Brady Manic is the dog. Like it, it's as simple as that. I cannot pick against my team. Because everything that I said that needed to go right for them to get to this point has went right. And if they do it again and they keep doing it, they're better than, I would say, almost every team that's left. Like, you don't put up 93 points against Baylor. And I know it was overtime, but you don't put up 93 points against Baylor with two of your best offensive players missing that much time without being really good at Basketball, you don't put up a hundred on Marquette without being really good. Like they can shoot with anybody. Now, do they get the performance like they did in the first two games from R.J. Davis and Caleb Love? That's pretty much the story of the game, in my opinion. Like, first of all, yeah, we have to shoot well. You know, Brady Manning's going to shoot well. It's really just a question of how many threes are R.J. Davis and Caleb Love taking. And I think you'll kind of know, like early on, like if they make a few early, watch out because UNC could get hot and it could be over quickly. If they don't shoot it well early, I don't think we have that much of a chance, honestly. Like, I don't think anyone can really box out Armando Baycott. I don't think, especially now with Jaquez, uh, the leading rebounder, at least, you know, playing hobbled or not playing at all. Um I think that that's a real advantage for us. Like we're going to offensive rebound. We're going to be able to feed it into him inside and he'll be able to have a good game as well in terms of offensive input. Um, But it's really just going to be dependent on those two guards, Caleb Love and RJ Davis. Do they shoot it? Well, do they turn it over? And if they don't turn it over and they shoot it, well, this is UNC's game to have. Um, So I'm going to go with the Tar Heels. Now, that would make it a Purdue-UNC rematch from uh, Connecticut and the Mohegan Sun Casino this year. I believe that was in November. Um, Purdue took a close victory in that one, but it's really like these teams have never played because that was one of the first games of the season for both teams. Uh, UNC is playing way differently from what they were before, uh, as I'm sure Purdue is as well. You know like I was mentioning in the Purdue game, it's been the same story for them. Like they've had their three best players healthy the whole season. They've been dominating all year, you know, and also including the great three-point shooting from Stefanovic. Um, But I, like I said in the last game with UNC-UCLA, like how do you expect me to pick against my team? Yeah, I can't do it because – even if I am seeing some flaws with the team or some possibilities that they could go down because of, you know, mostly in my opinion, what would be a team flusters Caleb Love and RJ Davis with the ball. We turn it over a lot. Those guys also don't make a lot of shots and we lose that way. I think that's the way we would lose. I don't know if Purdue would be able to do that to us. So I would pick UNC in that game as well and take them to go to New Orleans out of the East region, um, which would be just, man, that would be the best thing possible for Hubert Davis as the first year coach. So uh, let's hope, let's hope that UNC has a great weekend, folks. Um, We are now on to the Midwest region. Uh, This one is Friday, 730 from the United Center in Chicago, home of the Chicago Bulls, TBS is the channel. The broadcast crew is Kevin Harlan on the play-by-play, Reggie Miller, and Dan Bonner as your analysts, and Dana Jacobson from the sideline. And the first game that they have is number four Providence Friars against the number one Kansas Jayhawks. Now, this is an amazing game. I think that a lot of people are going to write off Providence and people have written off Providence all season, especially after their bad loss in the semifinals to Creighton in the big East tournament. Um, No one was picking them to beat even South Dakota state in round one. They were able to survive that game. Then, you know, it seemed like it was going to be a Providence, Iowa matchup. Iowa lost to Richmond um, and Providence, just absolutely disposed of Richmond. It was not even close from the first tip. Um, now this is, it's going to be a tough game for Providence. Like they haven't been impressive on the defensive end really at any point during the season. And with a team that has the Naismith finalist in Ochai Agbaji, um, Remy Martin, who came back from knee injury mid season and is now playing exactly the way he was at Arizona state a few years ago. Um, you know, you have David McCormick in the middle. They also have Jalen Wilson. Like this is going to be a tough game for Providence. Um, and I really, really want to pick them to win. Like I think outside of North Carolina, this has probably been my favorite team to see all season long. Um, you know the big east has been an entertaining conference if if you know i know that there's been a lot of talk of them not being as tough as as they're supposed to be uh marketed as but maybe not for the best talent but like the hardest conference to go out and win uh, you know at away way arenas and like you have a tough brand of basketball maybe it's not the most talented players that you've ever seen but Yeah, I mean, you just look, Providence is like a perfect example of the Big East. There isn't one player that you think like, okay, this kid is really, it's pretty much the same thing as Villanova. If you pick up this Providence team and, you know, you put one guy in a a game of a five-on-five with other college basketball players, for the most part, you aren't going to point at the Providence players between Al Durham, AJ Reeves, Jared Bynum, uh, Noah Horkler, uh, Nate Watson, Justin Manaya, like any one of those guys. And those are like this, that's pretty much the seven players that Ed Cooley rotates in and out. Not one of those guys would you ever be like, yep, that's the best player on the court. But they played tough. When the game was close, they won. And I know that people look at it as like, a luck thing. I look at it as like okay, they finished games when they when they saw that it was right there for the taking, they played their best basketball. Um I think they're going to do that again in this game. Um I don't think it's going to be enough though. Kansas is going to play pick and roll against uh, a lot of pick and roll offense with Remy Martin handling the ball against Providence. I think they're going to use drop coverage against that because, first of all, uh, that's what Creighton just did to Kansas and kind of kept them in the game for a while. Um, But I also know damn well that Ed Cooley, if he thinks that Horkler or Watson is going to stop David McCormick, then he's wild and they're going to lose by 20. But I think he knows that they aren't going to be able to stop it on the pick and roll, so they're going to use drop to try to make uh, Kansas just shoot threes and you know let the rims decide like all right are they gonna beat us or not I think Kansas between Martin and Agbaji, who had a bad weekend at first I think he's gonna be a lot better in the next weekend and you know between those two players Agbaji and Remy Martin I think Kansas edges it out um, so we're gonna go to the next and final game of the Sweet 16 Friday night, same channel, same arena, same broadcast crew. Thirty minutes after the first one, who would have saw these two teams coming? The eleven ranked or the eleven seeded Iowa State Cyclones versus the number ten seeded Miami Hurricanes. Um, so I saw Miami in Brooklyn against Boston College, and they looked horrendous, like, absolutely terrible uh the next night i turn on my tv expecting to see duke absolutely dusting the floor with them and they looked good they lost that game but then they come out in the first round they beat a good i mean usc wasn't amazing all year but they were good and they were able to beat them and then in the game versus auburn like i'm not going to lie on paper of course you would have cho- chosen auburn like i think i mentioned in the uh in episode three, like I think Auburn has the most talent of any team in the country, but they hit a, a tough sh- you know stride of games where they just weren't themselves. They really had some tough performances shooting the ball. Uh, Walker Kessler wasn't as good as he was in the beginning of the season. So uh, just a bunch of things going wrong for Auburn at the right time. And Miami had a group of experienced players who took advantage of that and, and beat the brakes off Auburn. So um, Iowa State, on the other hand, number five ranked defense, uh, held teams to 51 and a half games, uh, 51 and a half points in the tournament this weekend. Um, the opposing teams that they played shot a combined six of 41 from three. Um So it's very clear for Miami, like if you shoot the three, you're going to be able to beat them because I don't think their offensive input is going to be good enough. Now, if you look at the other teams they've played, LSU was going through a coaching change midweek, usually pretty tough to overcome, and they kept that close. Um, And then I know Wisconsin was really good, and I picked them to lose to Colgate, and then, you know, they didn't end up making the Sweet 16, so it kind of makes me look good, and Colgate played a great game against Wisconsin anyway. Um, it was definitely Johnny Davis heavy for the whole season, and, you know, you wanted, like, Brad Davison to be good and, you know, a couple of other guys to help out, and Chucky Hepburn going out with injury in the middle of the game against Iowa State didn't help. But that team was not, in terms of shooting the ball. It's not as um, it's not as deep. There aren't as many options as Miami has. Like, yeah, their best player is way better than any any guy Miami has in Johnny Davis. But Miami has four stars who can shoot the ball from three: Isaiah Wong, Cam Mcgusty, Sam Wardenberg, and Charlie Moore. Um, And I think. Between those four guys, uh, it's going to be just enough that, you know, one of them just has to have a good shooting night out of the four, I think, to take them down. You know, Iowa State clearly held teams to 51.5 points, but they only averaged 55.5, so 56.5. So it's it, – for me, like – okay, Miami didn't play this well all season long, and now they only turned it over seven times in two games. So you have to figure, like, maybe they regress in that in that state. But just based off of them having a little bit of a deeper roster with all older, experienced guys, um, I think they're going to be able to get into their first Elite Eight. They've never made the Elite Eight before. I think that they are going to be able – to take down Iowa State from Chicago. Um, So that would make that Elite Eight matchup. Kansas-Miami, I've got Kansas. Um, You know, both of these teams, Miami and Iowa State, are good. But I don't think they're going to have much of a chance against the winner of Kansas-Providence, even if it is Providence. Um, You know, like I said, they have both been great stories in the tournament playing their best basketball at the right time. But those two teams have been playing good all season long. Uh, A little bit more talent on both of those rosters. And I think if Miami comes out and shoots the ball well from three on Friday night, they aren't going to have the same success on Sunday. So I'm going to take Miami to beat Iowa State and then lose to Kansas Making my final four, um, Kansas, Nova, North Carolina, Texas Tech. What I had on my bracket previously was Kansas, Arizona. I know I said Villanova in the um, in episode three, but I actually changed it last minute uh, in my entry, which I don't even feel good about now. Given that I have Houston beating Arizona in the suite. Um, I had UCLA in my final four, and I think that the winner of UCLA UNC will beat the winner of Purdue St. Peter's, no matter who it is. I am hoping it's St. Peter's, but I picked Purdue um, and I had Texas tech the whole time out of the West. Um, So that'll do it for episode four. Uh, I really do want to talk about the MLB uh, you know, accelerated off season, I guess you could call it. And, and also spring training. And I also want to get into the NFL offseason because it is absolutely the craziest one we've ever lived through. Um, So many, you know, guys ending up on different teams that, you know, you would never have thought when the season ended that would happen. You know, Tom Brady coming out of retirement. But I don't think it's a good I don't think it's good to talk about like I just went through 40 minutes or so of college basketball and now I'm going to just start on a new topic. I don't want to do that. So I think what I'm going to go for is an episode next week, maybe Monday, um, definitely by Tuesday to recap the March Madness uh, weekend, the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. Hopefully I can talk about that at shorter length. And I think, you know, kind of looking at my podcast analytics, I definitely want to get more of them out with less time on each of them because i think that just between current topics and um you know not everyone is gonna right so just take into account that the last three episodes have averaged almost an hour and 45 minutes um not everyone has a commute that long a no you have to figure when you're podcasting a lot of your chance to be heard is on someone's commute to or from work. Um, So have to make it shorter, have to make it a little more interesting. Um, And I think the way to do that is by putting more of them out. That way I can also talk about more topics. Like I said, I don't want to talk about college basketball for 45 minutes and then be like, all right. And here we come with the entire NFL offseason. Like, all right, well, first of all, you know, not everyone's getting to the end of the episodes anyway. So I don't want to waste, you know, good content for no one to listen to it. Um, so I think Monday or Tuesday, we recap the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. We look a lo- ahead a little bit to the Final Four. Um, try to recap what the hell is going on in the NFL because there's just so many, mo- like, even if, I wish I could just go into it for five to ten minutes right now and just kind of get some of it done. but there's actually so much that's happened that I would either miss something. I w- you know wouldn't give it uh, the best recap. so I-, I don't want to get into that. And MLB, there's so much going on. I mean the off season's happening at the same time as spring training. we have guys signing arbitration. We have moves being made. It's you know literally two weeks before opening day. So it's a lot to talk about, and I think it's definitely enough for another episode on its own. So, you know, maybe I'll just recap uh, March Madness in its own episode and put out an entire NFL and an entire MLB one. I'm not sure, but for right now, uh, you guys will see me on Monday or Tuesday, at the very least recapping the Sweet and the Elite Eight weekend, and hope to hear you got hear from you guys uh you can definitely leave any um any you know feedback remarks that you have about the pod like you can message me you can put it right on on twitter instagram whatever i i really don't care i'd rather um hear from you guys and hear some criticism or things you'd like so i know kind of where to to keep moving with this um i also th- just, you know, getting back to like lowering the amount of time. Um, I think another way would be, you know, I have mentioned like having a couple of people on in, uh, you know, every so often as co-hosts, but also I think another way that a lot of podcasts and also just talk show radio, which is kind of what I grew up on, um, has you know, the, one of the best parts is like having voicemail slash people call in. So maybe I'll consider having that, you know, be a way that you guys can interact with me. And also it will give me more stuff and different angles to talk about stuff on the pod. And I think it would bring a lot more entertainment value to the Go Be Great pod. And at the end of the day, um, that's what I'm here for, right? I want to entertain you folks. I want to have fun doing it. And um, so I'm glad that I could get this out to you guys. And I will be back next Monday or Tuesday to recap all of the March Madness action and try to unpack what's going on in the NFL and the MLB. Thanks, guys.